I can agree with their stories, talk about being in uh, monasteries and meditation halls where everybody's sweating and you know there are snakes and scorpions and <laughs> all sorts of and diarrhea. Okay. <laughs> we're we're uh, very fortunate to have a place like this. I remember when I was about 15 or so, went through this process of being confirmed in the Lutheran Church. Had to go to catechism one day a week. Wednesday afternoons had a hitchhike from my school to the church every Wednesday. And um, confirmed. That's a strange word, isn't it? Confirmed. Together, firm. Sounds solid. Confirmed in the Lutheran Church. And one of the, in studying the, the Gospels and, and being fascinated with the teachings of Christ, I remember one uh, part of uh, what's written that he taught, what he said, was in my father's house there are many rooms. And that fascinated me, that statement. I I wondered often, what does that mean? There are many rooms. And as I grew older and and contemplated on that, I I sort of came to the conclusion that he was talking about different levels of consciousness, that there are many different realms of being. In in my father's house, there are many rooms. And then in, in reading the Buddhists, sutras, the Buddha taught also that there were many different worlds or different realms of being, um, ours being the human realm, but others, uh, hell realms, the descriptions of which you don't want to read, the really horrifying descriptions of those realms, um, the animal realm, human realm, then one of them, the realm of the hungry ghosts, always interested me because the beings there are described as, as having their little guys with huge big bellies and tiny necks and uh, their mouths open all the time. And the, the, uh, the graphic description of always being in desire and, and hungry but not being able to be fulfilled or satisfied, the realm of the hungry ghosts. There are other ones too. I think there's a realm of the gods, heaven realms, in which um, there are many pleasure groves and, uh, uh, you know, all kinds of uh, devas and courtesans to keep you amused and satisfied and happy. The trouble with the heaven, the heaven realms is that when you land in them, it's hard to get out because everybody gets so satisfied that uh, they don't do any practice. So everybody gets stuck in the heaven realms. So we, we don't want to go there. <laughs> the, the, 
scuttlebutt about the human realm is that it's the best place to be because there's suffering here. And uh, that suffering motivates us to practice and evolve in consciousness and to awaken fully. And all of those realms describe situations in which the, the denizens or the inhabitants are not fully awakened yet. So the human realm is supposed to be a pretty good place. I don't, don't remember any others except this one. And uh, in contemplating this one and thinking about this idea of there being many, many different uh, worlds or rooms in the mansion, a few years ago, oh, maybe six, seven years ago now, I was moved to write a poem about it and that... Uh, and it was an attempt to to describe the many rooms that are available to us in this realm, the heaven realm. The idea being we don't have to go anywhere else to explore different rooms in the mansion. And in this poem, the mansion, of course, is the human body-mind. And uh, I'd like to talk with you this evening using this poem as a sort of guide because it's really a description of the steps that you go through actually each time you sit down for a meditation session. There are these levels of awareness that we all uh, travel through and um, even after many, many years of practice I've seen that it's necessary every time to make my way through these different levels of awareness, no matter how many hours have preceded the, pra- the, the session. It's always pretty much the same as the concentration deepens. So the poem is a, actually a description of this process that we're all involved in. We've finished the first day here, and everybody has survived, I think. And although sometimes you probably wondered if you were going to, and, and it's like that the first couple of days in a retreat, especially if you're new to the practice, it can seem like some kind of, um, uh, well, maybe that you made a mistake. You know, <laughs> what am I doing here? What what is this business? And and how strange it is to sit together in a room and everybody being quiet with their eyes closed and not speaking or relating to each other. And it can be very difficult, as you've already touched on. There are times when your mind is screaming and let me out of here. And the person next to you is breathing too loud or not walking right or making too many movements and and uh, your your world gets full of uh, uh, aversion and hatred toward this poor innocent being standing next to you who has no idea that you're going through all this in your mind. And the, the body starts having all of its uh, peculiar reactions to being still. It, uh, it, it really doesn't, although we think relaxation is a great thing, when it comes right down to it, the body rebels quite often and and resists relaxing. You start to relax and all of a sudden 
everything starts to spasm in your back or or you know your hips start doing a some kind of a two step even though you're not moving or your breath gets difficult you know how it is or there's a huge pressure in your head so many different ways for the body to react to and be in resistance and as well as the mind so this whole process of sitting down making a commitment to being present fully and to actually being to be conscious of, of what it is that we're doing from moment to moment or how we're being is this whole practice is arduous and happens in stages. Of course, the first stage being this uh, work of, of concentrating the mind that we begin with and, and the concentration comes about as the result of repeatedly bringing the mind, our attention, the mind's attention to a fixed focus, such as the breath, the, re- the repetition of the breath. The wonderful thing about the concentration practices is if you stick with it and ride through all of the, the uh, resistances and, and obstructions that come up, if you stick with it, eventually there's a kind of uh, opening in the mind that happens. Uh, there's a noticeable uh, expansion of, of, of your presence and a feeling of having more room. Uh, and also, the perhaps the ability to see more clearly inwardly and to notice more clearly the subtleties of our experience. One of my teachers, uh, my first spiritual teacher, used to say, and this helped me a lot when I first heard this because it explained to me the nature of concentration. He used to say, concentration equals relaxation. Concentration equals relaxation. That usually when we think of concentration, it's uh, kind of like you know, scrunching down and making effort. But he said over and over again, that struggle, not, that isn't concentration. Concentration is really when there is a quiet in the mind and you get a sense of the vastness and the natural uh, peace of the mind in its natural state. When it's not being cluttered, your attention isn't being distracted by all the flow of thoughts and, and different phenomena that arise, images, pictures, memories, etc. So, this the poem that I'm speaking of is a description in poetic terms, and I, and I, I spoke earlier of how I, I'm really interested in how poetry becomes, if read carefully and, and listened to, becomes a way of describing the spiritual work very vividly, uh, much more clearly uh, often than than prose or linear words, linear process does. So I'm hoping that in using this poem and going through it bit by bit, it will transmit to you uh, a sense of what this process is that you're involved in and what it eventually leads to with, with effort and with commitment and uh, with intention. Intention is very important. So, 
I think um, the best way to do this is to, to go through it with you, read, read it first without interruption, and then go back over it and discuss a little bit what it's describing. So if you bear with me here. This mansion where we live has many rooms. For most, the favorite hangout is the drama room, sometimes called the place of stories. Yesterday's conversations are retold there. The wounds of childhood sleep deeply, sit up wide-eyed from nightmares, walk into the day and suffer from the replay, prisoners of the past. The drama room, it's fine for laughter, too. Neurosis pulling at your sleeve and doing floppy hat routines, falling on the knees, tap dancing across your screen in search of applause or sympathy. Everybody out to get even with somebody or waiting to fall in love. There are seven basic plots that get redone with endless variations just for fun. The next room is where feelings happen. And, and you'll see as we go along that this, there's a, a, a progression of going inward here that's happening. The next room is where feelings happen, behind the story and just below the mind. All the drama finds its way into the body, pulls it this way, constricts it that. Every meaningful glance, every jealous moment, sends its current through the nerves, transforms itself to impulse, contracts the muscles, and pulls upon the bones. In the feeling room, we, we pay attention to the pressure of contraction, the connective tissue making its demand. That leads us to the sensation room. The sensation room where life happens in the raw. Opinions belong to drama and plans are not allowed. Sensations are acknowledged simply as they are. Simply as they are. Some are tingling, some are pain. Vibration travels through in waves. Touch recorded like falling rain. No need to make them into something. No story here to tell. Each stands alone and disappears, replaced by what comes next. Maybe heat, perhaps cold. Tightness, hardness. Maybe the sense of presence, familiar and so old. Sensation without drama. Presence without history. No story to be told. Sensations move like blinking stars. The body has no form. No familiar shoulders. No arms to make us warm. Only life emerging now. Insistent, demanding, and ecstatic. Full of movement. Abounding with power. 
running behind the eyes and darting out the fingertips, dissolving all identity, becoming isness, becoming isness, arriving Buddha nature, the same as birds and song, making toast in the morning, head upon the pillow in the night, walking to the kitchen, turning to the right, whispering to a lover, the act of looking and the sight. The mansion is the great one. We who live here are mirage. Only the one who lives is here, smiling when the tea is hot, spreading on the jam, bringing down the laundry, wiping out the cooking pot. How wonderful is this body. How tender is the love. We imagine we are separate. But the truth is all around us. Below us and above. So you can see that there's, quite, there's a journey involved here. And I'd like to go back now through it. And, and, and by commenting on what I see the meaning of the images being trace the, the steps in the journey that we're all taking here together because no matter what your mind is saying no matter what your personal obsession is and no matter what the condition of your body or your health is we're all really on this same journey and it's a journey from duality and disconnection separateness and a sense of alienation and loneliness toward a recognition not in the intellect but in the very being of the totality, of the oneness, of the absolute perfection of our presence and what it is that's here without any need for polarities or conflict. You may have noticed in your mind there are most often several voices talking. And, and when they're talking to you, one of them is talking to you about what needs to be fixed and the other one's usually defending itself and there it is it goes on and on and on and that is the usual state of affairs we're born into this human realm where the consciousness is divided here it's split quite naturally it isn't a pathology it's the way it is and the split is basically between self and other between what you experience as you in there and what you experience as outside of you. And that split is very strong in all of us. And it's the root of a lot of misunderstanding, a lot of failure of communication. And it's certainly the very root of the cause of suffering, which is grasping, the Buddha taught, or trying to make everything hold still and make it finally make sense and be total and be whole. So, this poem is a description of the movement from that preoccupation with the duality and the polarities in the mind and the separation between the mind and the body that you're all dealing with and sitting here and this more unified state of immediacy and spontaneity and uh, uh, flow without 
uh, having to separate oneself from it, but the, the process of being the flow, being here totally as life itself. So, in the line that says, for the most people, the favorite hangout is the drama room, that really means when you sit down at first, what you bring with you is the story of your past, the, the egoic self, the self-contraction that we really all are operating from, has a history that it bases its identity on. Everything that's occurred to you in your past has all accumulated somewhere in your, your consciousness or your unconsciousness. And it's that story that we, partially that story, that we identify as being who we are. But of course, it's all in the past and not taking place in the present at all. So in that identification, we are identifying not with life, but with a, a kind of baggage that we're dragging around with us everywhere we go. So you may have noticed when you sit down to practice, you start replaying relationships. You start replaying uh, conversations that you had. Or you go over uh, situations that you've encountered at work. Or family life comes up. And it's like, oh, you remember that fight you had with your mother or your father or, or your kids. And then you, you wonder how that happened. And then you try to figure it out. And try to reanalyze it and go back and fix it. And if only I had said such and such. And maybe if I go back and, and talk to that person, we can straighten it out and on and on and on and on and on. And what you're really doing when that's going on is getting involved in a constant repetition, a circular movement of obsessive thought that when your attention goes with it, takes you further and further and further from the actual experience of being here in the moment. And of course, in the moment is really the only place we can be alive because it's really the only place life happens is in present time. So this drama room is what is foreground for most of us. We come here with our baggage. We come here uh, with life situation that we're struggling with. We're all involved in relationships. We're all uh, either trying to protect ourselves or trying to tear down the walls so we can finally relate to somebody. You know, everybody's seeking uh, a happiness through contact and intimacy or avoiding it out of terror and, and both going on at the same time probably in a lot of us, you see. So the drama is uh, pretty foreground. The drama room, some call it, sometimes called the place of stories, Yesterday's conversations are retold there. There's this obsessive, for a lot of people, reworking of our lives, contemplating the past and trying to make sense of it because we think we are that past. And, and as long as we're identified with our past experience, of course, and don't let go of it, uh, we have to deal with it all the time. History becomes everything. <clears throat> yesterday's conversations are retold there the wounds of childhood sleep deeply sit up wide-eyed with nightmares walk into the day and suffer from the replay prisoners of the past now there are those among us who are sitting here having 
experienced at some time in, uh, earlier in life great abuse physically, emotionally, sexually, a kind of uh, cruelty at the hands of others that has left really deep scars and, and profound wounds in our psyches. And those wounds, because when the original hurt happened, the little the, the, the child's mind wasn't able to, to deal with it, those wounds follow us. They're, they're imprinted in our tissues and patterned in our emotions and the ways that we relate to everybody in the world and everything in the world. Mm-hmm. So when we sit down in meditation, when there has been a lot of that kind of trauma, it eventually begins to make itself felt because suddenly there's the space and the quiet for all of that lurking in the background to come forward. And it wants to be known. It wants to express itself. There are emotions that were not able to be felt that need to be completed. Uh, what one of my teachers used to call unfinished business that needs to, to finish itself. And um, that process of sitting with the wounds of the past can be incredibly difficult. There will be fear. The fear, the original fear of, of comprehending what's happening or understanding, the, the, the original fear of, of, the, of the pain and the terror arises and, and, and uh, makes itself known in the present time. And the healing process that we're involved in, and sitting practice is a healing process, demands the in a way the calling forth of the the old traumas the woundedness the the emotion and and maybe uh, anger maybe uh, grief maybe fear all of that associated demands the calling forth of it and the the full experience of it so that it can be finished and left behind you see we we can't let go of what we haven't accepted. You can't release what isn't accepted first. So the practice of sitting in the drama room, which many of you are experiencing, is one of, of, of learning to accept that which is unspeakable, perhaps, or that which is intolerable or has been intolerable. So this, these first stages of sitting can be incredibly difficult and frightening because the wounds from the past emerge into present time and the fear is real now and the pain is real now. So it's a good idea if, if, if that's the experience. And everyone, I should say, everyone experiences this in varying degrees. Some people more than others, you see. It's all of us have had hurts and, and psychic wounds in the process of growing up. This business of relating to the other person pretty much always involves times of being misunderstood and not seen and, and not cared for. So there are these wounds in all of us. And um, the process of sitting still and opening to them and accepting them is what you're very much intimately involved in at this time when you begin to practice this concentration of quieting the mind. The drama room, the drama room is fine for laughter too, which is saying, you know, it isn't all suffering. Sometimes there's 
there's great pleasure that comes out of remembering the past and and contemplating your life and realizing how how certain of your relationships are very nourishing and comforting. So there can be pleasure and laughter in in the drama room. Neurosis pulling at your sleeve and doing floppy hat routines, falling on the knees, tap dancing across your screen in search of applause or sympathy. Well, what those lines are saying is that uh, really neurosis is the the common denominator for all of us. You know, we're all at, at some level neurotic. In the definition of that being, that as you grow in emotional maturity and those times occur where uh, something happens to you that is a is a wound or a pain and you can't really process it totally at the time, what happens is we tend to form a kind of protective layer of thinking around that wound. Um, it might be a, a, a thinking that helps us get distracted from the hurt. Uh, or it, you know, it might be a way of literally protecting us from the injury itself, and that circular thinking leads into circular and repetitive behavior. One leads from the other, and that kind of obsessive repeating of everything is what I'm calling neurosis. Neurosis pulling at your sleeve. So when you're sitting here in meditation, and you're experiencing your life in the raw very often you'll notice that you you think about the same things over and over and over. Like it's like you have this top ten favorites and lo and behold you've been thinking about them for years and years. They just are the same things. Sex, time, power, relationship. Huh? Money. Money's the big one, yeah. You've been thinking about these things over and over and, and repetitively if someone were sitting next to you talking that stuff in your ear all the time, you wouldn't put up with it. But for some reason, we continue to be fascinated with all that when it's, when it's us doing the talking in there. Yeah. We're infinitely fascinated with our mishigas. Yeah. It's, it's what keeps us amused. But it also keeps us distracted from the truth of what's actually happening. And the truth of what's actually happening is quite uncomfortable for the little ego self because what it is is that the little ego self doesn't have any basis in fact for its solidity. It doesn't have anything to hold on to. Everything is constantly changing here. So the truth is difficult. Everybody out to get even with somebody or waiting to fall in love, replaying our past relationships there are seven basic plots that get redone with endless variations for more fun. Well, I've already said that. You've noticed that, it, that there's a, a constant repetition going on. And in all my, I've been 40 years now as a psychotherapist. In, in all this time, I've noticed that there are very few uh, different stories that we're living. The plots are really quite simple. And actually, seven is kind of a, Exaggeration. I think it's fewer than that, basic plots. We're all involved in suffering. We're all involved in trying to come to terms with suffering. We're all involved in trying to get out of it. And we're all looking to assuage our loneliness and our isolation. And basically, everybody's looking for happiness. You know, 
Everybody is looking for happiness. Mostly outside of ourselves, where it isn't found, lasting happiness doesn't come from the outside. It comes from the inside, which is another topic that this poem is about. The next room is where feelings happen. Behind the story and just below the mind. And what that's saying is that as you practice being with your story and after a while you get kind of tired of the subject matter, you get willing to let your attention go a little deeper underneath the surface waves and you notice that there is a lot of feeling going on. It may come in the form of emotion, but there is a constant body presence that's happening here. And that body presence is reflecting what's going on in the mind. So sometimes the, the body presence is one of being tight. Sometimes it's one of being expanded. Sometimes it's con feeling confused. But it's always present. There's an ongoing felt body sense. It's kind of a sixth sense that's full of feeling all the time. Very often in, in meditation retreats and interviews, people will say to me when I ask them How's, what's happening in your practice, very often people will say nothing. You know, well, when you look inside what's going on, well, not much of anything is going on. But actually, there is always in each of you a lot going on. There is this constant arising every moment of this life material stuff, this life energy that is arising in each moment, manifesting, taking some kind of form, very often in patterns, and then disappearing in the next minute. So there, the movie is, is continuous in there. Behind the story and just below the mind. So there's this process and sitting of getting below the, the, the content of the story and into the actual feeling state that the story is an expression of. All the drama finds its way into the body, pulls it this way, constricts it that. The body, this form that we're all appearing here as in this practice is not actually a solid event. It isn't a solid thing. It's a field, an energy field. And it's pretty common knowledge these days that, it, that the, the body is mostly space, uh, molecules moving in space. And in the actual experience of what's happening here, uh, you can confirm that. If you close your eyes for a moment and put your attention, say, into your right hand, if you put your attention into your right hand and feel inside the hand, you'll notice that what's actually coming to your awareness is a tingling, vibratory feeling. Uh, a movement of, of, of energy, a kind of buzzing that's going on. That's what you're actually experiencing. You're not experiencing a hand. When you open your eyes, then you look at this thing and you go, oh, hand. But that's actually a concept. What you're experiencing is the energy of the field. And that field is, comes to us in the form of various kinds of sensations. 
actually, as the concentration deepens, as you open yourself to the, the sensations, you'll, you'll perhaps many of you will notice there's even a sound that comes with all of it, an ongoing, constant sound of life itself. All the drama finds its way into the body, pulls it this way, constricts it that. The, 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 the story and the wounds that I'm speaking of, which bring emotion and fear with them often, grief, anger, have their effect in this field. You see, the, the body and the mind are not separate, different, distinct things. As what happens in one happens simultaneously in the other. So the, the storyline, the drama that, that is your life, you experience as uh, movement of energy in the body. And very often, that's experienced as a self-contraction, a holding in the tissues that is, it comes to you in the form of sensations of pressure or tightness or constriction, a feeling of being tied or limited in, in your movements. Every meaningful glance, every jealous moment sends its current through the nerves, transforms itself to impulse, contracts the muscles, and pulls upon the bones. It's out of those movements of energy and the, the uh, expansion and contractions of, uh, of the energetic field that we, uh, we move, that we have uh, uh, a grace of of movement that we reach out to others that we uh, relate to the world quite literally out of that sense of presence that comes from this level of feeling and sensation in the body in the feeling room we pay attention to the pressure of contraction the connective tissue making its demand when I was in medical school I had a number of revelations in my, in my practice at that time about the nature of the body and I one of the things I became very interested in in anatomy and dissection and also in physiology was connective tissue and I want to say a little bit about that it's kind of esoteric but it also has meaning the, the connective tissue that gives this body form is what hangs the meat on the bones it's the tissue that uh, it ranges in grossness uh, from uh, the thick tendons like the Achilles tendon to very fine, subtle intercellular stuff that holds the masses of cells together. It also is the tissue that forms the fascia or the envelopes that uh, allow the muscles to be discreet and move so that we can move around and uh, communicate with each other. So this connective tissue is really the grounding or the webwork of the form that we're in. It, and it is uh, an outward manifestation of a lot of sensations. And I really think that this is the tissue that links, that is the link between the mind and the body. Because, now this is where it gets really esoteric, and I'll go quickly through this, but the connective tissue is made up of a spindle-shaped cell, whether it's in the thick, tendon level or whether it's very fine intracellular material it's the same cell and the cell each of the cells has two little tiny fibril corkscrew hair like things in it little fibrils and the cell then because of that contracts and expands and with a lot of fear 
and apprehension in the mind, the connective tissue responds by those those fibrils tighten, shorten, and the, and the connective tissue contracts. So that simultaneously we're feeling and knowing what's going on at the same time. You see? The thought process and the feeling process are not different. They occur simultaneously. And part of your work in learning to meditate is to develop the idea or the ability to contain both processes simultaneously so that you don't have to jump from thinking to feeling, from feeling to, to thinking. But it's the possibility of having both in your awareness simultaneously. That is really the path to the non-dual consciousness. That leads us to the sensation room where life happens in the raw. Opinions belong to drama and plans are not allowed. There's a certain level of practice when your mind begins to be quite concentrated and peaceful where all that you're aware of is the movement of different kinds of sensations and the fact that they're constantly changing. Not You're not aware of a body. You're not aware of a, 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 a self-person. Only all that's happening is this movement of of various kinds of energetic sensations. When that occurs, your awareness is is becoming more and more centered in non-duality because there is less and less a sense of someone doing the awareness or someone to whom it's all happening. There's only the constant flow of movement that is life itself. Sensations are acknowledged simply as they are. Some are tingling, some are pain. Vibration travels through in waves, touch recorded like falling rain. No need to make them into something. No story here to tell. Each stands alone and disappears, replaced by what comes next. It's a constant flow. There's a constant flow. As you relax more and more into your beingness here, you realize that what you are really is this process, this flow of energetic life and the movement of mind constantly happening as long as you have this form that's what it really is and what you get then is what the Buddha taught is that you're not the body you see you're not the body and you're not this little person who identifies with the body you're something much much more expanded than that that our identification with self as body and personality is a great limitation to our understanding of who we are. So, sensation without drama, presence without history, no story to be told. Sensations move like blinking stars. The body has no form. At this stage of the practice, there there are no shoulders, no arms to make us warm. Only life emerging now, insistent, demanding, and ecstatic. And the wonderful thing that occurs in the, in the deepening of the practice is that more and more you realize that the, the basic nature of all of this is joy, is, is, is real happiness. That the, what gets in the way of the experience ordinarily of our true happiness is all of the preoccupation with the story and the identification with physical matter and the body. Those preoccupations take our attention away from the fact that underlying all of this is a vast peace and a vast ecstatic happiness that's available 
to all of us. Everybody can contact that. But you have to have patience and you have to have the intention to do just that by becoming quiet. Full of movement, abounding with power, running behind the eyes and darting out the fingertips, dissolving all identity, becoming isness, arriving Buddha nature, the same as birds in song. And then the, the poem takes off from there and moves into a description of present moment. You know, making toast in the morning, head upon the pillow in the night, walking to the kitchen, turning to the right, whispering to a lover that moment of connection with the loved one. And you're, you're, perhaps you're lying in bed and there's, your head's around the pillow and you're whispering and having an intimate conversation, that wonderful connection in the context of love. Whispering to a lover the act of looking and the sight. The act of looking and what's being looked at become one. There is no separation between the outside and the inside. The act of looking and the sight. We who live here are mirage. We who live here are mirage. Those of us who think that we are somebody separate from all of the rest of life and all the other people are really uh, deluded in our beliefs. Only the one who lives is here. And that's a, that's a, uh, a radical statement. Only the one who lives is here means that actually there's only one person because that which animates every one of these bodies in this room is the same being. There's only one energy occurring here. And the practice is the introduction to the actual experience of that connectedness, you see. This is a noble work you're doing. You're opening yourself to the truth of totality. Smiling when the tea is hot, spreading on the jam, bringing down the laundry, wiping out the cooking pot. When that kind of awareness arises in your consciousness, everything, it isn't uh, bells and whistles. It isn't angel choirs and heavenly brass bands that occur. Everything becomes very ordinary. Very Ordinary, just as it is. Beautiful in its perfection, but simple and uncomplicated. Nothing in the way of everything that's being perceived. Spreading on the jam, bringing down the laundry, wiping out the cooking pot. You see, that's what that's saying. That it's just nothing happening here but ordinary life. And then the last stanza... How wonderful is this body. All of this journey that we're, we're taking here together happens within the context of the experience of this physical body. And the inward looking, the movement of attention more and more deeply within is the direction of the path, you see. How tender is the love. And that's really the most wonderful revelation of all, actually, is that the realization of love being natural, love being what the, the very ground of all of our experience, that which holds everything together, really being a vast ocean of love that all of this business takes place in, even the story 
even the neurosis, even the pain and the suffering. We imagine we are separate, but the truth is all around us, below us and above. And so, as Tejia said, beloved, dearly beloved, what we're doing here actually is opening our hearts to truth, quite literally. It's not a fancy idea. It's a real path, and it's a real experiencing of truth. And of course, it's the truth that's only yours. No one else can tell you what it is. You can only experience it yourself. And the Buddha taught that over and over again. He said, don't listen to anyone. Don't believe what anyone tells you. Find out for yourself. And of course, what that means in practical terms for us is that we have to practice. We have to really start to slow down the mind and bring our attention away from all of the distraction to the deep, deep inner knowing that is available to everybody. So thank you for your attention. It says here that there's a walking period at 8 o'clock and it's now 5 after 8. So uh, enjoy the walking.